everyone has the course or the program or the cohort based course type system for a particular category or particular industry. And quite frankly, I think the scale and size of the opportunity is a little bit smaller, especially because generally speaking, it is easier to create those types of products. You're putting a lot of risk if you start with something physical, especially when funds are low. Welcome to Creator Debates, where we have stupid arguments to help creators make smart decisions. My name is Justin Moore. I'm the founder of Creator Wizard. I'm your host and referee. Today, we're talking about physical versus digital products. So the thing about physical products is... <laughs> Uh, sorry, were you distracted by this awesome hat I'm wearing that says monetize? Oh, and, and this shirt, oh, that's so kind of you to say they're fire. Well, since you asked, you can click the link below to cop them. You see what I just did there? I just seamlessly plugged my merch, which is one of the first things most creators start selling after they wake up a few times in a cold sweat after having a nightmare about getting demonetized or shadow banned. And I mean, hats and t-shirts are nice, but they kind of require you as the creator to keep making consistent content on a hamster wheel in order to keep plugging them and making money. Oh, sorry. I just got an angry DM from a follower complaining that their creator wizard bobblehead just got lost in the mail. Actually, you know what? Selling physical products is kind of making me nauseous now. I think actually digital products are for me. Yeah, I'll make an ebook, a course, some templates. I'll make it once and I'll sell it forever. I'm gonna print money. But wait a minute, I, I almost forgot that launching my first course a few years back was absolutely terrifying and imposter syndrome inducing and an absolute slog and was most certainly not passive income in any way, shape or form. Okay, I think I'm getting those cold sweats again. Honestly, this is why I asked two experts here today to settle this debate once and for all. Kevin Espiritu is the founder of Epic Gardening, which he started in 2010 when he was feeling lost and disconnected with the natural world. He started sharing his journey online and fast forward to today, and Kevin has grown his business into the world's most followed garden brand with tens of millions of followers across a hundred countries. And get this, he recently made his first acquisition of a company called Botanical Interests, which makes seeds. Talk about Synergy, y'all, this dude is making moves. Sean Cannell, on the other hand, is a YouTuber, international speaker, coach, and the founder of Think Media, which helps entrepreneurs build their influence and income with online video. Sean's YouTube channels have over 1 million subscribers, his videos have been watched over 100 million times, and he's been featured in the 20 must-watch YouTube channels that will change your business by Forbes. So you could say Sean knows a thing or two about making those sweet, sweet internet dollars. So by the end of this episode, you'll know how to make that initial decision of whether physical or digital products is right for you, how your niche or content vertical should impact your decision to launch one or the other, and honestly, the only thing I really care about, who is a better creator debater, Kevin or Sean? So let's get into opening arguments. So Kevin, you're up first. Why do you believe physical products are superior for creators? You have two minutes. Let's go. Okay. That was the best intro I've ever heard to any show ever. <laughs> I'm going to say that right now. Amazing. Okay. Physical products better than, than digital. What I would say is over the course of Epic Gardening's history, I could have launched a, a digital product any of the last 10-ish or so years and probably done okay. I think if we launched a digital product today, we would do multiple seven figures of revenue 
in the season, in the growing season. It's it's not a it's not a terrible idea. I think for us, what has been incredible in the physical world is the opportunity size is just way larger. It's it's way harder to master, in my opinion, uh, to to completely own and operate a physical product from the ground up. I think what you're seeing in the digital world these days is everyone has the course or the program or the cohort based course type system for a particular category or particular industry. And it's niching down more and more and more. So you might be the uh, brand partnerships person for YouTubers, for example. Uh, and quite frankly, I think the scale and size of the opportunity is a little bit smaller, especially because generally speaking, it is easier to create those types of products. It's not easy. It's just easier. Uh, especially when you're getting into a physical product that requires like a significant amount of, of process. For example, with the seed company, we have to grow or contract grow seed, bring it in, germinate, germinate it, test it, test it for GMO, test it for organic, put it into a packet that we design and customize, and then put that out the door to one of 4,500 nurseries or sell it online. When the order comes in, you got to pick and pack it. You have to make sure the experience is great. But if you do it right, you're the only one. You, we're, we are, we're the only people on, in, in the world in gardening where you can come and you can buy everything you need and learn. I also think information generally wants to be free. So what we wanted to do is put as much information out there as possible. That's free. We don't have to live off of the revenue of the digital ads or the brand dollars, et cetera. It's great, but we can just reinvest that almost completely back into the company, which allows us to outscale. I'm done. I'm All done. right, you got it. You're done. That was very compelling, though. I want to bring it to you, Sean. Though it's your turn. Why are digital products the obvious choice? Two minutes. Digital products are superior to physical products in every way. Physical products are high risk and low profit. Digital products are low risk and extremely high profit with high margins. The global e-learning market right now is valued at over $210 billion, but it's predicted that by 2030, it's gonna be valued at over $848 billion. That's about $2.3 billion a day being generated in the e-learning space. Now, I'll admit that a lot of that is universities or colleges, but that's also DIY creators that are packaging what they knew into an online course and able to cash in on their knowledge. And so there's eight reasons why digital products are the obvious choice. Number one, it's a growing industry. Number two, it's low overhead. To start a digital product business costs almost nothing at all, especially compared to a physical product business. Number three, it's high margins. Many physical product businesses suffer from 20 or 15 or 10 or even 5% profit margins, where in digital products, it's closer to 90 to 95%. It's almost zero cost for shipping and returns, the simplicity of the business model, the freedom it creates for family, lifestyle, scaling, other revenue streams. It is incredibly low risk. And number eight, scalability. With organic and paid traffic, you can almost scale to the moon as you increase your skill sets. So digital products are superior to physical products in almost every way. Wow, he concedes his time. Uh, so very compelling, uh, but I think this is a great time to get into round one, which is all about the initial decision. 
Okay, so Kevin, I want to start with you here. Uh, Epic Gardening sells a huge amount of physical products right now, right? But I can, I can, uh, you know, let, I want you to take us back to the early days of when you were still trying to figure stuff out, right? I'm, I'm curious if, again, your your mind ever went to first, like, you know what? I'm just going to release this little ebook for nineteen dollars, right? Mm -hmm. that, that seems like a good idea. Like, so walk us through, like, how did you decide initially to double down on physical products, given the complexity that you just explained? Two minutes. To be honest, I didn't. From when I went full time on Epic Gardening, which was 2016 until 2019, it was content only. It was a blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel, then a second YouTube channel, et cetera, et cetera. And in a sense, that is a digital product, right? Because you're monetizing against advertisers, brands, and affiliate. It's just you haven't packaged it in a way and sold it directly to your audience. In that case, the audience is the product that you're selling to someone else. And so, for me, what I realized is, look, I could do an ebook. And actually, I think I did. If you go way back, maybe on the Wayback Machine, you'll find a $5 ebook I did. Every entrepreneur's first little foray into the pond, right? And I think what I realized is, look, Epic Gardening makes more money today on the non-digital digital products, as in just ad revenue, affiliate revenue, brand revenue, than most people do on their actual digital products. It's, it's a multi-seven-figure line of business for us. But what I realized, and to the point of it, it taking a lot of risk and a lot of financial complexity, et cetera, to start a physical business, I spent 20K, I think, on my first container of product out of Australia when I first did it. I negotiated the terms, so I paid 10 up front, 10 over three months, so pretty favorable terms. And the worst scenario is that I would just get the money back because you could always sell it at cost. It's a pretty popular product. And I had the audience basically screaming at me to list it. So from a risk perspective, I didn't actually have to create anything. I distributed something and I brought it in from a country that it was already validated and sold and I knew my audience wanted it. So yeah, there is technically some risk. I had to put up some money, but from my perspective, it basically didn't exist. We sold it out on the water. I used that money to buy another, sold that out on the water, bought five more off to the races. And so the capital came in to fund it from its own, its own operation. But yeah, I, I did try to do a digital thing and who knows we might in the future as well interesting i mean uh one little interesting kernel that i heard from this story is that y this was almost like a a pull approach right because your audience was the one who was saying give us this give us this give us this rather than you trying to push something uh, if you hadn't have built that audience initially probably would have been a little bit more difficult to uh, you know, have the the stomach to you know outlay that type of capital to uh, sell 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 a product like that, right? Uh, so that's that's pretty fascinating. Um, Sean, I want to give it to you here. Um, take us back to your early days with with Think Media. I mean, tons of creators and businesses come to you for advice about how to make their videos better, right? Why not manufacture your own camera gear and accessories, right? Instead of just being affiliates for other companies. Like, why have digital products been a big part of your success? Two minutes. When especially I thought about the early days of recommending cameras, lights, and I was able to build my first six-figure income just doing YouTube and Amazon affiliate marketing, only making 4% off of tech. What I realized was that the margins for tech specifically are pretty slim. My friend owns an AVL store that's pretty sizable, not as big as like Amazon or B&H, of course, but kind of at that third tier. And when I told him that I was making 4% on cameras from Amazon, he told me... He 
uh, he's like, if I tried to beat that at 5%, it would destroy my margins. And that was cameras. And that was like black magic. There was like an 80% hard cost. There's only 20% to play with. Now, there was other products like ring lights, for example, one of his best-selling products. The problem being, if you look at who we recommend uh, tech to, it's a lot of budget gear. We don't really go the high end. We go the budget gear side. So if we're trying to comp- compete with Neewer or GVM, they already are at a scale. The only place where you can make real profit of doing 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 units that if we try to go boutique starting out to compete with ring lights or tech accessories, it just didn't make any sense to try to claw for 5%, 10% profit share in the headache. He had a shipping container that got some water damage and they had to split the loss because that's what the contract said and they lost you know half of the ring lights and this money in the process and i was just like bro i'm not trying to have that much stress in my life and so digital products were uh just the obvious choice i think i would concede that if you were going to do it in tech you should go premium like peter mckinnon and charge 250 dollars for an nd filter but that doesn't really align with the average creator we were trying to get them tools that were affordable so it made a lot more sense to do it as an affiliate, no headache, no customer service, no returns. Even though we only made the 4%, if you could figure out scale there, I was able to clock out every day, zero stress, go on a walk with my kids and my dogs and go to sleep. Very, very interesting. Well, congratulations, gentlemen. That is the end of round one. Okay, moving on to round two. Let's talk about money. Okay, Sean, obviously, one of the most attractive aspects of digital products is the very, very low cost of fulfillment, right? Basically, zero dollars other than the cost to create the assets, maybe a little bit of cost to deliver it, right? Um, But for every success story where you see someone flexing on social media that they made one million dollars on their course, right? There is a huge graveyard of digital products that tons of creators out there spent hundreds or thousands of hours on and then no one wanted to buy them, right? So despite that risk, why do you believe digital products have a higher upside in the long run financially? Two minutes. I believe that the risk is equal. I mean, nine out of 10 small businesses fail. So if you project risk onto any industry, my question is, do you want to fail having lost tens of thousands of dollars on a physical product? Or do you want to fail having lost some time? I think that also if you and I, I think there's the easy myth with digital products. You got to skill up. You got to really work hard to create something that's substantive. And I also think there's a lot of greedy people in digital products where we actually slim down our margins because as we've scaled, we invest in more customer service, more in the connection. I think that digital products where the real ethical impact is, is having uh, the cohort, the community, eventually the customer service, reinvesting profits. And so ultimately, I think that the opportunity with digital products is um, that you got to really study marketing, figure out how you're going to be different, really become a master of it. And I am absolutely aware of the easy myth. I think the reason that things are in the graveyard, um, it, you shouldn't spend 10,000 hours or a thousand hours creating your digital product, you should actually probably launch it before it's made to see if there's interest and do some product viability, just as you would ordering a small batch of t-shirts before you order 10,000 of t-shirts. There's a right way to do digital products. And I believe that every creator can learn that and it's a safer path and a more lucrative path. Got it. Well, Kevin, Sean's making a pretty compelling case here. I mean, one thing I will say about the downside of digital products is you really, you can't hold them physically, right? So 
is that why you think you can make more money with physical products, right? It's just kind of a, uh, like a different kind of connection with your, your audience and customers. Two minutes. Yeah. I mean, I think for, for me and for my industry, and I could certainly concede and sympathize with cameras and video creation, that's a pretty damn tough industry to crack in the physical realm. You do have guys who've done it. SwitchPod is a great, great example, at least in my opinion. It's, it's fantastic. We use it all the time. It's possible, but yeah, there's a lot of stress that goes into it. You're moving atoms throughout the world, unlike moving bits from screen to screen. It's, it's a different game, and it is, it is quite a bit more challenging in that sense. But I do think as far as scale and opportunity, I mean, I don't know a single creator that I can name who's hitting numbers like you know, Beast with Feastables or, or Logan Paul and those guys with Prime, or quite frankly, even someone like me, a little plant farmer uh, at, at Epic, we're, you know, we're doing t ten, tens of millions of dollars a year in, in revenue. Now, that might not be someone's goal, and that's totally fine. That's a different game. But, you know, in the world of physical, uh, you know, a million-dollar product, which someone might use as an example to sell an entire suite of digital courses. Look, I can teach you how to grow a digital course. I sold seven figures of digital courses. In the world of physical, that's really not that impressive whatsoever. Um, and so it, it's just a different game. Uh, I think for me in gardening, it is fantastic to have products that we've developed ourselves that we can sell directly to our audience that work and that are fundamentally better than what's on the market that they can hold in their hand and connect to the entire universe of content that we've created over the last eight years and go, whoa, not only have I learned from these guys, but they're actually creating better stuff and it's working for me to help me do the thing that I come to them for in the first place. Very interesting. Well, uh, I want to pose a, uh, a slightly ancillary question to both of you. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by ConvertKit and their craft and commerce conference, which is happening June 8th to the 10th in Boise, Idaho. And tickets are going fast. This three-day event is designed to help you connect with fellow creators, learn from experts, and discover tools and strategies to grow your business. Craft and commerce includes inspiring keynotes, workshops, like one from me, meetups, live ConvertKit support, and social events. This is the perfect opportunity to gain valuable insights, network with your peers, and have a blast doing it. Right now, you can take $50 off your craft and commerce ticket. Want to bring a friend? You'll save even more. Go to conference.convertkit.com. That's conference.convertkit.com. All right. So one question I have for both of you is obviously you're, you've both, both built substantial businesses with both physical products as well as digital products. But Kevin, I want to pick up on something you said in an earlier round, which is that there is this non-trivial amount of revenue that you're making um, downstream with AdSense and let's say brand partnerships and so on. So how do you think about sponsorships and other types of monetization uh, in terms of your priorities when you, you're also making revenue in these other significant ways? So I'll, I'll, I'll take it to you first, Kevin. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this is the most exciting part for me about the business model we have is that it's the Bezos quote of your margin is my opportunity, right? So if I don't need to live off the ad revenue, the affiliate revenue, or the brand revenue, and let's call that, call it seven figures, right? Just call it even number a million bucks. Let's say it costs me 500,000 bucks to run my content team. I'm at a plus 500,000. Now that might be great take home for someone uh, to live a fantastic life. And that's incredible. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I can go ahead and turn that 500000 and pour it back into the team, back into new products, uh, back to the customers. And I will beat my competitors. I will, because they can't spend the money that I can spend. I don't need to live off of it. And so to me, that's why I have not uh, tried to pull that money out of the company, or at least these days I have it, because I can put it back into the company and just outscale anyone else and offer more service and create a better, better overall experience for customers. 
Sean, what are your thoughts on that? The situation is actually very similar um, because of having a digital product. Um, ad revenue is around 500K a year for us. Uh, brand deals is a million dollar business. Affiliates is another 500K. And and those are just the tip of the iceberg of the income streams. I have a physical product as well. It's a book that can ship to people's house and it's done over 100,000 copies. And it, there's also eBooks and um, audio versions of that book. So the cross promotion of all these different ad revenue streams, I agree, if we can break even in our content, the smart business owner, no matter what, takes profits and reinvest or takes revenue and reinvest revenue in their business to scale. And we have two different business models, but I, in a lot of ways, we are outscaling a lot of our competitors right now too, because of the compound effect and the decision to not just try to take every all the profits off the table, but to make something that's bigger of more impact that doesn't just impact our customers, our community, but also impacts the people we get to employ their kids, their families, the kind of culture we get to create at our company. Um, and so it is a blessed place to be when you're building a business in the creator economy. Fascinating. Well, gentlemen, that is the end of round two. So let's get into round three, which is all about impact and the future. So one thing that I think a lot of creators really struggle with is detaching themselves from their quote unquote brand, right? Whether it's physical products or digital products, oftentimes everything kind of comes crashing down if the creator stops being the face and actively promoting stuff, right? So Kevin, I want to go to you first on this one. Uh, I went to your website when I was doing research for this episode and your face is plastered all over that bad boy, right? So will it be possible for Epic Gardening to continue to crush it if you decide that you want to take a step back at some point in the future? Two minutes. That's the hope, right? And so what we've done already to solve that is, you know, the blog, as of today, we're the number two most traffic garden blog in, in America and I don't write anymore on the blog. Uh, yeah, my face is on the homepage, mostly for brand recognition. It's probably actually changing. We're probably doing a redesign in the next couple of weeks here, but I don't write on the blog anymore. I wrote the first 500 articles. I don't write anymore. Uh, we have a couple of creators we've brought onto the team. We have my original garden assistant, Jacques, who's got an audience of 300K across all platforms on his own. We've started bringing collaborators onto the main channel and to the point of the, let's say the course ecosystem, or maybe even just the content revenue needing me to some degree that is still true today, but for products, it's not. If we create incredible products that if I touch the development process and perhaps the marketing process, sure, that's great. But there is a world in which I can build the business such that I don't actually need to do that. We can get incredible product engineers and push that out to our network of wholesale stores, which is basically independent garden centers where everyone learns to garden. And those products can, can exist whether I'm alive, whether I'm dead, whether I'm in Hawaii, whether I'm in the garden, it doesn't matter. So yeah, I totally agree. That is a huge problem in the creator economy, probably the Achilles heel of the entire world that all of us play in. Interesting. Sean, your turn. Uh, will Think Media still be able to sell as many, many digital products if you personally decide to slow down? Two minutes. I believe it will, and I believe it'll take uh, a while to get there, though. And I think the goal is to build a proprietary process when it comes to teaching and learning and build a system that works that isn't built on a person. If you look at EOS, which is a system of uh, operations for businesses, um, that is scaled into multiple people perpetuating that method and not dependent on the personal brand. I can't even actually tell you who the author of the book is. I forget uh, traction and things like that. And so I think 
think for educators that are creating digital products and educators on um, YouTube and content creators, I think that it's just a matter of strategy and then seeing if you can pull it off. I don't know if we'll be able to. I feel like I lucked out naming my channel Think Media and not Sean Cannell. It wasn't actually really a strategy. It just happened to be what I named it 10 years ago. And so today we're trying to act more like SNL or The Verge or CNET and bring on other content creators and shift away from my personal brand. I will admit, um, I, at this exact moment, it would not do as well without me. Um, and I do believe, though, that in a two to three to five year plan, that it'll be possible to eliminate founder dependence. And that is our current goal. Even if I stay, it's best for everybody involved, including our team, and giving our team something that they can own, they could be a part of, that, again, is not dependent on me. Every smart founder should be asking the question, what would happen if I go away and how can I build the company to not be founder dependent? Super interesting. Well, Kevin, Sean, it's time to make your final appeal. On the other end of your camera, on the other end of your microphone is a creator who is relying on you to make this tough decision. Convince them why selling physical or digital products is the best move for creators. Kevin, you're up first. You have one minute. If you're in an industry as a creator that has a reasonable path to creating physical products, the arbitrage or the opportunity right now is that in any of those categories, there's going to be an ABC, a CBS, and an NBC, and you're going to be one of them if you're one of the top creators in that space. And there's no reason why you can't be the Bed Bath & Beyond, not a good example because they just went bankrupt, but you can be the next Bed Bath & Beyond of your category. We, for example, are the premier gardening resource on the internet. And with some of the products that we're launching and planning to launch, we should become the same in the physical world. Go into any store, you can see our products right there. You can garden with us. So that's the opportunity I see. I think it's gonna be open for a little bit and then it's gonna be shut as everyone else figures it out. Sean, you're up. I think the smartest move that any newer creator can make is figuring out the simplest way to get revenue that you could potentially reinvest into something later. And honestly, I gotta warn you, with direct-to-consumer brands getting crushed right now, with the unpredictability of ad costs, with supply chain issues, with manufacturing issues and costs, you're putting a lot of risk if you start with something physical, especially when funds are low. So I recommend trying to come up with the simplest business model that can be the shortest and fastest path to revenue. And then sure, later when you have more financial stability and perhaps some brand influence, then absolutely you may diversify your brand into something else. I think it's a flawed argument to point to Logan Paul or Mr. Beast because they already had exponential influence and money. But for somebody when money is tight and you may have some sweat equity and you want to do a side hustle, I highly recommend starting with digital products and that will open the door of opportunity for you to write your own checks in other ways in the future. Well, thank you so much, Sean, Kevin, and now you, dear creator, watching and or listening, who won this creator debate? You can vote by clicking on the link in the episode description or letting us know on social media by tagging at creator debates. Make sure to tag Kevin and tag Sean. And so, Kevin, uh, hit us with the call to action. Where can people learn more and uh, follow you on social media? Epic Gardening on any platform in the universe. Love it. Well, Kevin, why I love following you, um, you are so 
ridiculously approachable and transparent about how you're building your business. And I think I DM'd you uh, a long time ago when I had yeah. like a much smaller following and you were super gracious. I mean, sometimes I think we put really successful creators and entrepreneurs on pedestals, but you're out here basically saying like, look, I'm a normal dude. And you're just giving so much hope and inspiration for creators everywhere. So thank you. Thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, I don't know I, I, about you guys. You're all successful. Like to me, I just feel like a normal dude. So it's, there's nothing different about me now than, than 10 years ago. Totally. Sean, hit us with the CTA. Uh, Sean Cannell rhymes with YouTube channel on all the platforms. That's S-E-A-N. And then Think Media. And, you know, I probably just started, should have started with Think Media across platforms because I want to eliminate founder dependence. So <laughs> may I decrease and may Think Media increase. We also have a podcast, the Think Media podcast, that's bringing hot fire on the audios and the videos these days. So I'd love to connect with everybody. Why I love following you, Sean, uh, man, we go way back, I think, to the Dan Sember days, right? I mean, none, none of us had any idea what we were doing back in the early days of YouTube, I think. Maybe, except you, you were the one who built a freaking massive business out of this, which is really hard. And I know firsthand because I built one and it failed. So I don't think a lot of people really realize how hard it is to run a profitable business over a really long time period uh, and how stressful that is to manage that many people and be responsible for their livelihoods and not to mention the tremendous impact that you and the Think Media team uh, have had and continue to have on creators. So thank you. Appreciate it. Grateful and super humbled to be a part of your show. Absolutely, man. And now it is time for Creator Debates After Dark, where Kevin and Sean are going to stick around for a little bit longer and debate even spicier hot takes on the creator economy. So if you want to catch that bonus footage, click below to become a supporting member of this podcast, which helps us continue to bring you these awesome debates for free, by the way. And finally, you, dear creator, would you leave a quick review wherever you're watching or listening? It would mean so, so much to me and help the podcast reach more creators out there. All right. That's a wrap. Until next time.